This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and leader of the Blue and White Party, Benny Gantz, are set to meet on Wednesday to see if they can broker a deal to form a unity government. In the two weeks after elections, uh, left both parties with no clear majority. Mr. Netanyahu has been given 28 days by Israel's President Reuven Rivlin to form a national unity government, despite his Likud party finishing second in the vote. If he fails to do so, then Mr. Gantz will likely be offered the same opportunity, or the country may face its third election in less than a year. So what does all of this uncertainty mean for Israel and its economy? We're joined here in studio by Zvi Eckstein, who is a dean of the Tiomkin School of Economics and head of the Heron Institute at IDZ Herzliya, and also a visiting professor here at the Wharton School. And also joining me in studio, Mukul Panya, who's editor-in-chief and executive director of Knowledge of Wharton. Gentlemen, great to see you. Thank you for Hi. coming over. Thanks, Dan. Thank you. So I guess with this time frame, Zvi, is there a path for Mr. Netanyahu to be able to try and, try and form a, a unity government? Well, uh, first I want to say uh, Happy New Year to all our uh, audience. Happy New Year, uh, the Jewish New Year. And uh, we hope uh, there will be a government. But as the things look at this stage, we are running into a third election and that will be not the third election in 2019. It will be the next election, actually, probably at the beginning of 2020. Most likely, Netanyahu will not really form a joint government because he doesn't really ask for what is called a joint government of the Likud party and the blue and white. He actually brings all his right-wing uh, uh, parties together, and that doesn't going to work with just uh, blue and white. So therefore, it seems we are running that Netanyahu is going to return his uh, uh, ability to build up uh, to the president maybe by the end of this week. So Zavi, for the benefit of our listeners, I wonder if you could explain the background to what's going on. So what, what are the factors that have led to the current situation becoming what it is? Well, uh, the key factors is the Israeli politics is usually divided into uh, two dimensions or three dimensions. One is a uh, very strong ethnic uh, background related to certain parties. So the ultra-Orthodox, uh, the Orthodox, and then uh, the Likud, which is a center-right, uh, which is also has some ethnic background. And then there is the left, is also ethnic background. And, and that's also related to what we call the relation to the political situation between right and left, meaning those who are more hawkish on the uh, solving the solution, which is more in the Netanyahu on the right and the left. There is another dimension, which actually the deadlock is related to that, is the three indictments that in uh, March 2019 were potentially come into hearing for Netanyahu on violating the law. And these two indictments, or three indictments, actually make that the entire left took the general view that was in Israel that the Prime Minister with potential indictments cannot run the country as the leading promise to the public. And since Netanyahu and the right insist that he will be the next prime minister or the candidate for prime minister from the right, it split the country. And that was the first election was about it. The second election is about it. And we are probably running to the third election that is fully related to this issue as the grid 
difference between the uh, what I would call right and left based on the same background I said before. So if we could take a step back, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu has been such a an enduring presence in Israeli politics for the past decade. Uh, but but even but as you just explained, he has been indicted uh, on 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 a few uh, of his actions. Uh, what are some of the factors that have led to the Israeli voters sort of turning away from Netanyahu, and what do you think this means for the balance of power in so, Israel? It, there are the two things. I mean, there is uh, there is the standard, what we call, I would say, in fact, a minority among the Jewish voters, a full majority among the Arab voters who oppose the Netanyahu Okish view regarding the peace process. On top of it, we have the indictments. And the indictment basically split uh, the voters and the parties into two camps. Those who think that the prime minister could be a prime minister and actually go to trial mm-hmm. or actually be immune they were actually went into the election, the last election in 9 of April, uh, on the idea that they are going to change the law, reduce the power of the Supreme Court, and change the law such that the prime minister who violated the law will not be indicted while in his office elected. Mm-hmm. These two things did not get a majority, not in the previous election, on one parliament members, and this time not a majority, on five parliament members. And that's actually generate the big uh, deadlock uh, that is going on. But we have to understand, Israel is a democracy. There is a budget. The budget is working. The bureaucrats are running the country. Uh, The government is in power. Political decisions are made. Uh, International policies are in charge. Uh, All the defense issues are taken care of. We have a prime minister. He is also the defense minister. So basically, uh, it's sort of a situation where the only thing is that the government cannot take new actions. What's the state uh, of Israel's economy right now, then? The economy is running uh, very well uh, on what I would say long-term trend, which was positive. Uh, the, the economy is growing more than 3%. Uh, it's a lot very high growth rate yeah. for the economy. However, the economy also, population is growing the highest among OECD countries. It's uh, close to 2%. Per capita, uh, the growth rate is equivalent or a little lower than the average top uh, OECD countries. So, but unemployment is less than 4%. Employment rates are higher than the U.S. and are very close to top uh, OECD countries like uh, Austria, Sweden, mm-hmm. uh, etc. The income of the lower part of the population in the last 10 years arose quite substantially. Inequality has been going down. So there is overall, uh, economically, people feel, and as, uh, along the people who are voting right. on both sides, very well. The, the, the economy is running well. Geopolitically, we have the most supportive president from the U.S. to Israel. And in fact, the split among the Arabs does not enable us even to argue about what is the solution, because no one talk about solutions. So overall, the, the situation of the incumbent uh, prime minister is very good. So therefore, I claim that the key issue 
is the three indictments. Right, because the, 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 it does seem like there are elements that are going on in Israel that are somewhat similar to what we're seeing here in the United States right now. Is That's absolutely right. Very similar. And to some extent, unfortunately, the leaders sometimes uh, use Machiavellian-type methods, <laughs> uh, which are very similar. So if there's a third election, what's your prediction? What's likely to happen? Uh, it's hard to make a prediction on election because, uh, as we know, uh, voters' uh, decisions, especially in situations like this, sometimes are decided on the last day. Yeah. And even the surveys are very hard to make. And what we have seen from the last election, the question is whether the trend would continue. What we have seen is that what we call the soft right-wing group, which belong to the Likud, uh, they, a lot of them, a lot. One, two percent decided not to vote. And some of them actually who belong to party who joined the Likud, uh, like uh, there was a small party by the, the finance minister, Kahlon, who joined the Likud. They probably did not really vote for the Likud. And they get tired of this. And I think what is going on is it's the, 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 those people, and you hear a lot. For, I think I want to emphasize the son of uh, Menachem Begin, who is the prince of the Likud party, announced a week before the election that it is the first time in his life he is not going to vote for the Likud, but not about their economic policy, not about their foreign policy, not about their social policies, all about the fact that the prime minister cannot be a prime minister to speak the way he speaks, and it cannot be a prime minister giving the indictments uh, ahead of him. And that actually represents a small segment that may be even larger for the next election. Uh, but, you know, as we say, uh, things may change. The Middle East and uncertainty are there. Uh, one bomb in the center of Tel Aviv or in even a small town, can change the whole outcome in one day. So c coming back to the point that Dan raised earlier about the economic implications of Israel's elections, I saw that you wrote a really interesting article in Foreign Policy that was published earlier this month. Uh, and you made an interesting observation there that Israeli citizens care about economic issues, but Israeli voters do not. And I was wondering if why that is the case and if you could explain it's a, that. I think it's a good line that we have chosen because the situation is like that, that there is, has been no real difference in the main party. So if you make the two parties like Likud uh, and Blue and White or even Labour, or if you add to the Likud the... Uh, I would say the right wing, even uh, what we call the the orthodox, not the ultra orthodox, but the orthodox, they all sort of a center uh, right uh, mainline policies, and they all identify the main problems of Israel. And no matter who is going to be in charge, they probably would implement what I would say a mainline policies, and those policies. Uh, which I actually belong to. I work in Israel, our Aaron Institute within IDC. We work closely with the Ministry of Finance, with the Ministry of Labor, with the Economic Ministry on suggesting, and the transportation, suggesting major reforms that, my view, any government that would be formed, in particular government, which is a unity government, 
where the small segments don't get a lot of the share in income, will run the same policies. Now, the other thing I find very interesting about Israel is that the country has always been known as a startup nation and, and uh, has attracted tremendous investment from some of the leading companies around the world. Now, depending on what happens after the new government is formed, what implications do you think it will have for innovation and entrepreneurship in Israel? I would say well, no matter what government will be, it will be a government that will support the continuation of the startup nation. Uh, I want to emphasize what do you mean by startup nation. In Israel, uh, high-tech companies and innovation is about 8% of the labor force. Uh, in the U.S., it's 5%. And most European countries, it's even less. And the level of uh, especially small app uh, uh, firms who become large, uh, I think the best example that people give is Waze that we have all of us and others that we don't see on the, on, on the, on the, on, on the iPhone, but it's in the iPhone. A uh, large of them are produced by Israeli uh, knowledge and uh, that would be supported huge time by everybody. By the way, the high-tech uh, company leaders generate sort of a collective call that was anti-Netanyahu. And on the oh. other hand, Netanyahu tried to take the claim that he is responsible for the high-tech, and <laughs> most people don't disagree. Uh, what I want to say is that, uh, as I said about the economics, the, the weak and the strengths of Israel is widely agreed. And we need a good, stable government to implement the good policies. Are, are, are the tech sector companies, are, are they the, the ones with the most influence right now in Israel in terms of having the contact with the government and being able to kind of lay the framework for either supporting Netanyahu or not supporting him? Not really. Not really. I mean, they are not influential on the public uh, they made the, the leaders made of you as persons. Right. Uh, I would say the I If you look at the vote in Tel Aviv and Herzliya, where most of these companies are located, the percentage against Netanyahu is the largest. Right. Most of the people who vote for Netanyahu are the lower income uh, people in the in the towns where uh, income is lower. Uh, but that not related to economic issues. It's related more to what I would call the tribal aspect sure. of Israeli politics. I'm glad you mentioned the low-income people because uh, Israeli, um, the Israeli economy does face challenges and poverty is one of them. Uh, high and rising costs of housing is another issue. Uh, so d based on your understanding of the Israeli economy, how do you expect these issues to be resolved with the new <clears throat> government that comes to power? I would say the following. Uh, let's start with the poverty aspect. Uh, I think actually the current government and the previous governments, I mean, actually in the last more than 15 years, there was a consensus that the key way to solve the poverty issue is to put people into work and increase the productivity. And that has been done. Israel has increased employment along, uh, among the lower income, uh, the Orthodox, the ultra-Orthodox in particular, and the Arab population, and they put a lot of effort increasing. Here I give you some most people don't know. There is a decision made uh, four, three years ago 
by Netanyahu government, the most right wing, made the largest decision on investment in the Arab community ever in Israel, not in some, in proportion. Uh, so the policies of putting the Arab population into work, helping them to find job, helping them to improve their quality, the same about the ultra-orthodox, would continue. I'm be, I actually involved in, in formulating these reforms. Vocational training is a key reform. I believe no matter what the government will be, we'd adopt it. I did all the reform after the last two years under the Netanyahu government and Netanyahu ministers. So I think the fight and, and uh, the view that this is a key issue in this direction, that the labor market and the quality of the worker is the solution, would continue. Housing market. Housing market, uh, Netanyahu and his government and his ministers follow populist solutions, which all of them fail. For 10 years, mm -hmm. Netanyahu offers us that he is going to solve the problem, but he never wanted to really tackle the problem. Not because he didn't understand what are the problems to tackle, because there is no speaker better than Netanyahu in explaining 10 years ago the problem of privatizing land, on making land available to build, and how it has to be changed. But there has not been prime minister that was worse than Netanyahu in implementing the same policies that he was preaching the country in Congress and in Israel. Another thing that uh, Netanyahu was a great preacher is the overregulation and overbureaucracy, which actually prevent a lot of the housing problem and more the productivity issue and the poverty of the lower income. There has not been a prime minister that was a better speaker of explaining it to the public, and there has not been a better, a, a worse prime minister on doing actually, unfortunately, not much in this direction. Hmm. And I feel very, uh, I was a deputy governor when he was elected. I was very hopeful and worked with him and with the government to implement those things. Unfortunately, it has not been done. I hope that the next government will take the right action. I want to emphasize that now the bureaucrats in the Ministry of Finance at the Prime Minister's office accept where they fail. And maybe there will be a change in the new government. And I, I will say what I say before, no matter who is going to be the prime minister, I hope so very much. So what, what should the new government be doing that uh, the previous one didn't? Yeah, so there are three aspects. First of all, I will start with the bureaucracy, is to measure bureaucracy and to follow what has been done in Europe and in the United States on reducing excess bureaucracy and excess regulation mm -hmm. to let the private sector to invest. We are lagging in private investment, and especially in uh, commerce and in uh, retail, we are really, productivity is extremely low. Uh, second one is uh, digitization of the economy. Israel is lagging any Western country in digitization. Those are low-cost issues, and they are not big problems. The second one, uh, most important, that I, we design a vocational training and I think sure. there is a program that should be going on. Any government will take it. Most important is investment in trans public transportation. We are lagging behind in big time, and we need a metro for the Tel Aviv metro area. And this is a big decision. Uh, I think uh, it's ready for the next government. And uh, that's the, the, the key one. Uh, the last one is... Uh, 
is probably uh, the issue of, uh, uh, oh, I, for, I forget, is uh, some adjustment in taxes that are needed in order to solve the deficit. We have the deficit grown up from uh, uh, 3% to almost 4%. 1% of GDP to reduce the deficit is about uh, increased taxes or decreasing uh, expenditures in around uh, 1% of GDP. Uh, I believe any government that will come will do it. The question whether we'll do it in the right, uh, in the right, uh, you know, the, the right places. Uh, I believe it's true. Israel actually have a relatively good tax system. Is there a, a business sector that is already established to a degree in Israel that, and we talked before about the growth of the tech sector, obviously over the last few years in Israel, but is there a business sector within Israel that is potentially that next great growth opportunity for for Israel? Uh, I think that uh, it's hard to identify that. In fact, I think the next one which possible is uh, the high-tech sector to move it from a small startups that are basically do venture capital and yep. then uh, sold. And most of our high-tech sector is basically R&D for all the large companies in the world, which we gain a lot for the high salaries of our R&D, but we don't really build big companies. Right. The only example that we succeed was with Intel, Intel is the largest foreign company in Israel. Mm -hmm. uh, they have about 3,000 people in R&D and uh, more than 3,000 people in producing uh, the most uh, recent. I think to take uh, some of these companies and to make it like Intel uh, or like Nokia or something like that, uh, that's potentially the most... Uh, uh, potentially the most uh, successful Israel industry. Is the mindset there already where, just using those companies you mentioned, Intel, Nokia, that Israel is the place that they want to be able to expand and, and be able to have that growth? Is the mindset there in the first place that that's a destination? The, the mindset is there. There is a lot of people working on that. There is a division of you. What are the blocking reasons? Is it bureaucracy? Yeah. Is it a tax system? Or is it the uh, training of the people who do the job? You know, there is a big yeah. difference between having uh, top engineers doing R&D and between high-quality people who can run, like in Intel, the very small nano company yeah. that you need to, uh, to, to make them, people like going here in community colleges. My view is that actually the talent of high-quality, good, uh, uh, medium uh, level uh, applied engineers and technicians uh, would make Israel a very successful one. Well, so, so since you mentioned the trade schools and such, what is the state of education in Israel right now when you're talking about the difference between what basically what we have here at the University of Pennsylvania and the trade schools? You're, you're obviously impacting the economy on, on a variety of different levels. The importance is still there for both. Yeah. But you still need to have that, that growth. So Israel has been extremely successful in generating uh, academic uh, schools and colleges. Right. Uh, we have about 50% of the people going to, from people who are in each cohort, 
who finish high school, about 50% go to what we call academic jobs. Right. Uh, it's both subsidized and private. Right. IDC is a private institution. Now we have a PhD, so we are really growing. And that side is very good. We have a lot of students coming here to Wharton, uh, etc. So this is very successful, and it's very successful in computer science, etc. Israel has been unsuccessful and doesn't do much and actually reduce the ability to produce the lower 50%. What I mean, uh, the vocational training, yeah. uh, community colleges, uh, yeah. all that to the people who were not doing very well in high school. And actually, I am, uh, was appointed in a government committee uh, about two years ago, and we completed a proposed reforms almost a year ago. Unfortunately, <laughs> our minister <laughs> was indicted two months ago, and we couldn't even give the government yeah. the proposal that there was a f- full agreement for that. But I believe that uh, the proposal that we built could actually generate an, a huge uh, a huge reform, positive reform in Israel, especially to the Arab and the ultra-Orthodox and the low-skilled people who have a bad high school to begin with. As soon as you were starting that story, I knew there was unfortunately going to be a bad ending to it, <laughs> at least for now. But, but that being said, then, it, there is, it seems like, the recognition by those in government in Israel that these are changes that need to occur to really have the economy of Israel take that next step. Yes, there is a well recognition of that in the government. Actually, I should mention uh, a very important for Wharton is that Professor Amir Yaron, the Wharton professor, yeah. was appointed uh, last year yeah. in December to be the governor. Yep. And the Bank of Israel just issued two months ago a full report. It also exists in English on what should be the main policies. And almost everything I have said is consistent with the report led by Amir Yaron. And we are very lucky. Amir Yaron, I mean, I should emphasize, Amir Yaron is a top academic that was appointed directly from a position of a teacher at Wharton to become the governor of the Bank of Israel. He is the most important economist in Israel. He is a top economist at Wharton. His influence on policies are extremely important. And I should say thank you for the Wharton community <laughs> for allowing Amir Yaron to be in Israel and influencing the next government on implementing the policy that was just issued a report by the Bank of Israel under yeah. his leadership. So one, one more question. There are signs that a new global recession might be on the way. Uh, do you think Israel is prepared for it? And, and what, what should, uh, <clears throat> with help from people like uh, Professor Yaron, uh, what, what should the Israeli government do to prepare for it? Well, uh, we certainly have to be worried about it, especially that a lot of the recession has to do with uncertainty regarding trade. Uh, a lot has related to the China, U.S., and Israel is involved there because Chinese corporation invested in Israel, and the American administration is not very happy that they bought our largest uh, milk producers and our fertilizer producers, and they invested in uh, in our uh, underground and in our trains, in our roads, etc. So we are certainly subject to some of these uh, issues. Uh, I would say there is sometimes a gain from being small. 
and the gain from being small and actually having a very strong political solution in the U.S., maybe we are not going to be the first to suffer. <laughs> so far, we haven't seen a big uh, negative impact. And uh, Israeli companies, including ITEC company, continue working with Chinese government. And hopefully, uh, the president will uh, reach some agreement with uh, China soon, and the uh, threat will uh, disappear. I would say that relatively, since we don't have a uh, decision on production very much in Israel, right. uh, then the direct impact is much lower. Right. So I give it as an example. I mean, if you have to produce an iPhone, even if uh, Chinese investment is only 5%, but you have to decide if you are doing it in China or in Vietnam, the uncertainty generates a big impact on the economy. We don't produce iPhones in Israel, so therefore we are less of a subject to those costs. Zvi, great to meet you. Thank you for coming in and giving us your insight today. And thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Magul, great to see you as always. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. Uh, Zvi Eckstein, uh, who is at uh, IDC Herzliya and also Mukul Panda from Knowledge at Wharton. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 